Hello and welcome to episode 164 of the Reds Unrestricted podcast. I'm your host, Chris Coughlin, and I'm joined by Jamie Barton to discuss Liverpool's 5-1 win over Toulouse in the UEFA Europa League. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Well, Liverpool very much in command of Group E of the UEFA Europa League with a thumping 5-1 win over Toulouse at Anfield. Diogo Jota got things underway with a brilliant solo run before Thijs Delinga equalised for the French side just after the quarter of an hour mark. But then after half an hour, Liverpool very much began to assert their dominance. Wataru Endo, one of the smallest players on the pitch, with a very good header for his first Reds goal. And then Darwin Nunez with a brilliant finish uh, with his left foot into the top corner uh, just a couple of minutes later. Uh, after the uh, after the halftime break, uh, well, we'll definitely get on to Darwin Nunez, trust me. And uh, he was involved, let's just say, for the fourth goal, which was well finished off by Ryan Gravenberg, who again we'll very much discuss as well after another brilliant display from the Reds midfielder. Uh, and then uh, rounding it all off, who else? Mohamed Salah off the bench to score for the Reds and break yet another record by uh, overtaking Thierry Henry and becoming the uh, player with the most goals in a major in major European competition as a Premier League player. He's now got 43. Henry has been left behind on 42. So a lot to digest from uh, that game, Jamie, but uh, your three-word match review and just your general feeling about the game and the, the stage of the group that it is, because Liverpool are top. They're five points clear of both Toulouse and Saint-Gilles. Uh, yeah, as you said, there was a, a lot to, to kind of sink your teeth into. So I could have gone with a lot of different things. Uh, and I'm sure we'll get on to Graham Burke. I'm sure we'll get on to a, a lot of different things. But the thing that struck me for my, for my three words most, uh, and that I'm, we're going to talk about Nunez in a bit, so I won't go into too much detail, but was Nunez's position on the pitch. And I think they were kind of trying to do something a bit experimental. So I'm going with Nunez false nine as my three words. And in terms of my kind of take on the game in general, it was fun. It was really fun. Um, it's not. It's not often that that we sit there and we kind of just kind of get to soak it all in a bit. You, you're constantly living on your nerves, and you're constantly, even with this season where where we set out with not kind of. Well, I, I certainly didn't set out with too high expectations. This team's surprising me, and we're going further than than I thought we could. And so every game kind of has that that pressure that pressure on it. And this just felt like it it didn't, and it was really nice just to sit and watch a really, really good football team do really, really, good, really, really good things. And in terms of our, our position in the group, it's solid. I really, it's kind of probably meaningless, but I was I was disappointed to see that Union Saint-Gilois got a, a last-minute winner uh, because that takes them, I think, on to five points or four points, if I'm four, four points. Four. Liverpool are five clear, both Saint-Gilois and Toulouse. That's right. And so I think... Correct me if I'm wrong, but if they hadn't equalised, we would have been in the position where we could have won the group outright uh, without worrying about their their uh, result if we beat Toulouse next next time we play them. So that was a little bit of a disappointment, but I mean, chances are we're still going to win the group by the list. I think that still would be the case if um, Lask win the return game. Yeah, all I mean uh, is we don't have to worry about their... <laughs> 
No, Liverpool are very much in command of the group. Um, my three-word match report or match review, just quickly, is all the fives. Uh, five goals, five different goal scorers, and five points clear at the top of the group, as I've said. It's it's nice to have that variety of goal scorers at any point, um, really. But definitely, um, this season, it just feels like Liverpool do have more threats from several different places and in particular from midfield which has been such a concern for such a while now despite their success of course likes of Henderson, Vinaldum, Fabinho the success that they brought to the club will never be forgotten but it's about reinventing that midfield reinventing uh, and getting like a midfield 2.0 if you like which has been spoken about so much and Liverpool very much are on the road to doing that and you mentioned him. We're going to get on to Ryan Gravenberg now. I just want to read out a few things because I, I was trawling through Twitter afterwards looking for some stats, and there's plenty of interesting ones about Ryan Gravenberg. This one for me really stood out. Ryan Gravenberg tonight became the first Liverpool player to have four shots on target in a game in the league or Europe this season. It happened 17 times in the last three seasons. Crucially, None of them by a midfielder. Now, again, to lose our mid-table in Ligue 1, I don't think they're the worst team I've ever seen, but certainly you could tell that Liverpool were a class above. And how much of that do we look into the opposition? And how much of that should we look into the fact that Ryan Gravenberg is a very, very exciting young player? I mean... With all these things, you have to take into account the opposition, uh, absolutely, and, and you're right. And it it would appear that they would be a a lower lower Premier League, potentially upper Championship, but probably lower Premier League standard. So yeah, you have to take that into account. But look, we had a lot of very talented uh, midfielders on the pitch last night, and we did against Union, and we did against Lask, and none of them did that. So I mean. It was very, very, very encouraging. And it's we saw, I thought, a kind of different side to his game where he was kind of maybe given a bit more license to, to roam. Um, with him on the left side, he was leading the press, uh, which I thought was very interesting, especially given Curtis Jones was on the pitch and he normally does that. And I know Curtis Jones was on the, was on the right-hand side this time, and so that's probably what they're thinking was. But that was really nice to see him getting stuck in and getting involved like that. So when we did win it back, which we did on a number of occasions, he was very, very well placed to to be the man who ends up taking the shot or playing the final pass or anything like that. So look, yeah, take into account the opposition. But as I said, they didn't do that. And it was very, very encouraging. The thing is with Gravenberg as well, he's playing with a smile on his face. It's quite an infectious smile, isn't it? Um, I, I, I said this when he joined, when I was speaking to Dave, Dave Comerford, that one year on the Bayern Munich bench doesn't all of a sudden make you a bad footballer. It's very important to remember he's 21 years old. This season for Liverpool, he's played nine times, started five of those games, two goals, two assists. That's double the amount of goals and double the amount of assists he got for Bayern Munich in the entirety of last season. And last night in isolation... Ryan Gravenberg, passing accuracy 96.3%, key passes three, shots four, shots on target four, as mentioned, goals one, tackles three. 
that is about as all-round a midfield display as you can get, isn't it? Pretty much, yeah. Um, he's got that kind of extendable leg thing that I love in our press. <laughs> you know when you see players go into tackles and, and they seem like they're not going to get there and suddenly they, they grow about two, 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 two inches on the bottom of their foot or whatever. I love that. Um, Jimmy Triori used to have that, but maybe he's a better player than Jimmy Triori. Uh, <laughs> um, and look... It's it's as you say it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a weird one because I think thirty five million on the last day of the season when we'd kind of missed out oh, sorry the last day of uh, uh, the transfer window uh, when we'd missed out quite publicly on a number of our targets I don't think anyone thought he was an afterthought especially given that we'd been clearly pursuing him, pursuing him uh, throughout the window but certainly it felt like kind of Sobersly and McAllister were. were the, the ones to beat, the kind of sure things in, in Klopp's mind and, and, and Schmacker's mind. And he was maybe a bit more of a project, but doesn't look like that at all. Um, obviously, he's, he's started a bit later because he didn't have a pre-season with us, so that's, that's fair enough. But look, he was supposedly, uh, if you read uh, Mel Reddy's stuff from earlier in the window, he was alongside Germany and Bellingham in terms of the, the profile last season, sorry, last summer that they were looking at. And I mean, I don't want to kind of go too soon on on either of those, but the signs are very, very encouraging. Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth there about Mel Reddy and in terms of what Liverpool do see in Ryan Gravenberg, because it wasn't a knee-jerk reaction. Ultimately, Liverpool had been pursuing Ryan Gravenberg for arguably the entire summer, with Bayern Munich not willing to budge. And I think I'm not the only one who was concerned when news about Jao Palinha's move to Bayern Munich was breaking through that all of a sudden Ryan Gravenberg might not be arriving on Merseyside, but then those fears were, were quickly put to rest. just want to read you a quick uh, quote on, on, uh, from Jürgen Klopp on Ryan Gravenberg before we move on. He says, he's a really good player. I'm so happy for him. His first touch is incredible. So good in tight spaces. He still has room for improvement. He's so young and so much more to come. When when I've watched Ryan Gravenberg both on TV and live, as I've been fortunate enough to this season, his awareness on the half turn is absolutely staggering for someone of his age. And don't get me wrong, he is going to play for the Netherlands again. The Netherlands kicked off about him not being available, but I'm sorry, this was this was just a man wanting to put his club career back on track, and he's too good for them to turn him down. Put it that way. Um, but I'm just I'm sensing a very mature head on very young shoulders. I'm sensing a guy that is enjoying his football again because when he was at Ajax, he was talked about in the same kind of realms as Chiuameni and Bellingham, and I genuinely believe that. I'm not saying, look, you look at Jude Bellingham doing it at Real Madrid. I don't think it's comparable in terms of their goal-scoring impact or, or that kind of thing. But for what Liverpool need, Ryan Gravenberg is a brilliant fit for that area of the pitch. And is it a case that, as you say, it's very early days, of course it is. But there's the feeling that by getting him actually on the pitch, almost a bit of potential being unleashed? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Um... You wonder whether he's one of those players who who, who plays on confidence and, and he clearly kind of has the backing of Klopp in a way that he didn't uh, at Bayern. Uh, and you wonder whether that's kind of feeding into into his performances. Um, 
it felt odd that uh, we waited, what, five, six years, and I think we've finally seen what Klopp wanted from Naby Keita, which is quite... <laughs> Um, and he took Cater leaving and us signing someone else for that to finally come true. Uh, no slight on Cater. I mean, he, he had some great performances as well. But this is the consistency which which Gravenberg has kind of come in. I think every game he's impressed, really. Even the first, when he comes on against Wolves, I think, in, in, on his debut, he only gets three minutes or whatever. He almost scores at the end. And, and that's not what kind of I was expecting from him. And it's it's very encouraging to see that. So... <sighs> I, I don't know how many times I can say it. I'm very, I'm very encouraged. Things, things are looking good. Things are looking good. Get the, uh, get the, get the thesaurus out and <laughs> get, get some synonyms for encouraged. <laughs> but, um, we are going to move on now uh, to another player who I think we can all feel like he had a good game, and he still did have a good game. He got on the score sheet with a very good finish. But unfortunately, the world is only talking about one moment. And that, Jamie, is Darwin Nunez, a man who confuses, excites, frustrates. Pretty sure there's about a thousand other words I could throw in there, really, if I got my thesaurus out. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because, again, there's moments last night where you kind of felt right. He was really in the groove, and then that happens. The let's not let's not sugarcoat it. The quite horrendous miss just before Ryan Gravenberg's goal. What was your impression of Darwin Nunez last night? You've alluded to him in your three-word match review. Darwin Nunez, discuss opener for ten points. God, only ten. I, I think <laughs> make it a hundred. Um... <laughs> I'm a little more encouraged than you are, you know. Uh, I mean, I'm not, ob- saying, I'm not saying I wasn't. I'm just saying I'm, I'm confused. Yeah, yeah, no, he's a confused, certainly a confusing player. Um, obviously, it's it's a horrendous miss, and and you know, as soon as he does it, that that is what social media will be talking about, and and to an extent, you kind of accept that with 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 a player like him. Uh, you get Torres vibes from him uh, when he's at his best and certainly I got Torres vibes from him then when he was at his worst but look it's it's a fantastic run the bit of skill to beat the defender that kind of shifting from his left to his right is phenomenal and then the burst of pace to take it around the keeper it's kind of jotter against Ramsdale I think levels of kind of going around the keeper where he didn't even really have to drop his shoulder he just kind of sped up and the keeper couldn't live with it uh, <laughs> And yeah, it's a horrendous miss. But overall, I thought he was great. I thought he had a really, really, really good performance. Um, as I said, I, I alluded to it in, in my three words at the beginning of the pod. I think, and from my limited tactical understanding, that they were trying to do something different with him last night. And they were kind of having a look at him dropping deeper, particularly in the first half. He was coming, when we were playing, playing, playing the ball at the back, he was coming really deep almost in our half, and he was demanding the ball. And to be honest, he wasn't picking up the best spaces to do it in. And more often than not, I think, uh, our defenders elected to go somewhere else, normally to Trent, who's kind of dropping into that kind of centre-back, quarterback kind of role, even deeper than he has done uh, for some games this season. But they were definitely trying something. And to be honest, it didn't take away from his attacking threat. He obviously gets the goal. He should have another. 
So it's interesting because I think last season they would have never trusted him with any any sort of particularly complicated tactical instruction. And I think he's shown, not just in his goal scoring this season, but I think he, in his work off the ball, uh, particularly out of possession in the press, that he's come on leaps and bounds in the summer in terms of his, his tactical understanding of the way that we want to play. Um, and I think that's really encouraging. And I think the fact that they've been impressed with that seemingly is is why they were trying something a bit new last night. Uh, the worry is that he ends up kind of, you end up kind of blunting him. But, <laughs> I mean, good luck blunting Darwin Nunez, I think. It was nice as well that after Gravenberg slots at home, all you can hear is Nunez, Nunez, Nunez. Just the constant... Uh, you know, yearning for encouragement for him as well because you could see while Gravenberg's slotting at home he's on his knees wondering how on earth he hasn't scored and I've watched it back and it's an eerily similar finish to the Fernando Torres miss against Manchester United where obviously he's still pretty much within the parameter of the goal but the way he strikes it doesn't get his foot fully behind it and it's more of a slice than anything, and he's actually done really well to locate the post if you think about it <laughs> with, with the, the goal at his mercy. But you know, it, it, as you say, there was a point in the second half as well when he dropped deep to win back possession and then turned with about four players around him and then just drove forward. So I think, I think we're seeing a tactical maturity from Darwin Nunez. I think we're seeing an ability maturity from Darwin Nunez. Undoubtedly, the finishing is still something that needs to be fine-tuned. Because this season, I think it's five goals, four assists. I think, I'm not sure whether that's including the one for yesterday as an assist for Ryan Gravenberg, although Flash score did give it as an assist. Um, I suppose he was other, the only one to touch it, wasn't he? Yes, and other other uh, scoring and football apps are available. Um, but again, if you look at... If you take the finishing aside... One thing you say about Darwin Nunez is the stats determine that he's a monster. In terms of if he had the finishing, again, you don't want to compare him to the Norwegian robot. But that's what people are trying to do. They're saying the only thing that separates the two of them is the finishing. Because Nunez is more threatening on runs. He's more threatening on positioning. The fact is that New- the fact is that Erling Haaland is just a better finisher than Darwin Nunez. And that is a fact. But... It's the it's the excitement, isn't it? The feeling that if the finishing was there, what an asset Liverpool have on their hands. And his finish as well. I think we can all agree that that's arguably one of his most confident finishes in a Liverpool shirt. Yes, no, absolutely. And, and I think you can see his confidence growing uh, almost with every game. Uh, put it this way, uh, even if... Uh, a Liverpool player had turned in his effort off the post last season. I don't think he would have walked over smiling and laughing. Um, and that was great to see. And obviously you touched on the crowd, the crowd um, encouraging him. And that's great. I sometimes feel that if you're a, a Ryan Gravenberg in that situation, or there's been... <laughs> I wondered that. What do you think? Yeah, I think there's... there's a, can't quite remember exactly when, but I think Salah, maybe it was even the Everton game, Salah scores uh, and you, you get uh, off a Nunes assist and you get in the Nunes, Nunes, Nunes chance. And, you, and look, it's Mo Salah and, and any player in this club side won't look too much into that. But you, you do wonder, kind of, come on, I've just 
scored a brilliant goal for, for Liverpool. Come on. Um, but no, you're right. The co- the confidence is is growing, and and the finishing is tough, isn't it? Because you see him in games like the Newcastle game. He gets two chances, two unerring finishes, and and that when you see that, and the reason why that's so exciting, not least because a last minute winner, is is you kind of think, well, if he if he keeps that up, if he does that every time he gets a chance, then there's no limit to the number that he can score, and so. I think, look, we've been saying it will come for for more than a season. And to a certain extent, it already has. But I still think there's, as once he, I don't know, I don't want to kind of do the whole, uh, he only needs this to, to add to his game and suddenly it'll explode. But I do kind of think that. And, and he's already showing signs that he's working towards that and and more than signs I think that, that's a bit harsh on him he's, he's already got a good goal scoring record this season and so you just want to see him in the team every game I think as you say for every Newcastle brace for every West Ham volley there is a moment like last night but I suppose that's where you get the unpredictability of Nunez and that's why I think a lot of people take to him so much because they just enjoy watching him play football and just feel that they can kind of relate to him in terms of the chaoticness of it but again once he's once he's fine-tuned because there is still a bit of fine-tuning to be done I think there's plenty to be excited for for Darwin Nunez and also just lastly on him you mentioned about the tacticals thing I noticed with him yesterday he's very rarely drifted outside the parameter of the 18-yard box and that's something I've been begging to see from Nunez because ultimately if he stays central that's where he will continue to get these chances and that's where he'll score goals yeah, no, no, absolutely. Yeah, um, he was dropping deep, but he he wasn't going wide as you sometimes see. Uh, I wondered how much that was to do with 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 Salah not starting, and Elliot was kind of Elliot and Jones were almost swapping in the in the in the wide areas rather than uh, Salah and Nunez. Kind of Salah coming inside, and Nunez going outside, and so Elliot was kind of hugging the touchline. You had Jota on the other side, who was kind of doing his own thing, but as you say. Nunes was never kind of, he was it, when when the chances came he was kind of within the posts and, and ready to kind of take them. Yeah. Uh, I also just one more thing I think and you're right to touch on the chaos uh, um, element of his game and that is still in there but I sometimes think we're doing him a little bit of a disservice and look things like him missing an open goal last night probably don't help my point but. I think when he came on in the derby, he was the least chaotic of any of, of any of the the front line. We had a, it was a game defined by nearly chances and not nearly finishes, but rather the the pass before the pass or the pass before the assist wasn't quite right, and and we were getting that wrong constantly throughout that game. And he came on, and and you can see it in the goal. He almost seemed like he had the coolest head out of out of anyone going forward. And so this chaos thing is is. Still sometimes true, and admittedly, it was true in, in the uh, moments last night. But I think sometimes we do him a little bit of dis- a disservice with that. I think you can see his kind of cool head in that moment in the derby uh, to, to lay in Salah. Uh, and I think we'll see more of that going forward. Yeah, I do think we are seeing an improved composure from him, and hopefully that will result in more goals going forward. Um, speaking of goals, a man that got his first Liverpool shirt with Haru Endo. That's not his job. But it is always nice, again, to see a midfielder contributing uh, with a lovely header as well from someone that maybe isn't renowned for, for that. But 
It's been an interesting start to his Liverpool career. Only one Premier League start so far. That was away at Newcastle. Uh, and then he got substituted as part of Klopp's tactical genius that afternoon at St. James's Park. Um, your thoughts on him yesterday? Because I think a lot of people, even though you want to try and fit in Soboslai, Gravenberg and McAllister, that does mean sacrificing one of them into the number six role. So if Vitaly Wendo is to start in Premier League games... You know, he'll need to obviously prove it on nights like this. And how do you think he did in terms of staking his claim? Yeah, he did very well. Um, I think alongside the Leicester game, it was probably his best performance so far in the Liverpool shirt. Um, I think there's a weird almost kind of catch-22 with Endo in that the type of player that he is is going to kind of break up possession. Maybe doesn't offer as much going forward as someone like a McAllister, but he's he's more solid, he would like to think. Or at least that's the idea. Is more suited to the big games, maybe games away from home, where we're not going to have as much of the ball. We're not going to need a, a, a creator from deep so much as a, as, a, as a destroyer and as a stopper. So you want him in those kind of bigger games. But obviously, he hasn't quite proven yet and this is no slight on him he, he may well go on to uh he hasn't quite proven yet that he's of the consistent quality to start in in those in those big games and so you end up in a weird position where you kind of think so when does he play because when we're playing smaller teams we, we may as well have someone uh who, who can progress the ball better having said that um, I thought last night he did all he could in terms of not just the, the destroyer element, but actually going forward, I thought it was really encouraging. And obviously he gets his goal, but I'm talking more about his kind of, he, he fizzes those passes into people's feet really, really nicely. Um, and so I think he seems to be under instructions from Klopp to, once he's got the ball back. To, to, to kind of lay it off as quickly as possible. But this isn't a kind of lay it off to a more creative player situation. These are really kind of good good passes into the feet of the front three. There was a couple into Gravenberg as well, who, as you said, is just fantastic on the half turn. Uh, and suddenly we're away. And so actually, in terms of staking his claim for, for being able to contribute going forwards, I think that was maybe the most encouraging thing last night. Some stats from Endo as well. Won 11 of his 15 duels on the pitch. Uh, I don't know where else he'd win them. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, that was the most of anybody in the game. Um, he also made four recoveries and three interceptions uh, and had a 96% passing accuracy as well. So again, as you're alluding to, Klopp really highlighted his forward passing as well in terms of being able to break the lines, which was which was really good. Being able to progress the ball, which was really really good. Um, and I think with someone like Wataru Endo as well, given uh, I'm trying to find the right word for this, given the kind of head loss perhaps that occurred around the fan base when it was announced he was joining, or at least a fee being agreed because of everything that happened with Moises Caicedo and how quickly that evaporated. There was perhaps an element of negativity around his signing, I think it's fair to say. And I think a lot of people are still kind of wondering if he's really able to perform in the Premier League in terms of games where Liverpool really do need him. 
But all you can do is put a performance like that, as you said, if you deem Toulouse to be a lower Premier League or per championship side, then they could be useful in games against Luton Town, for example, or Sheffield United this season, or Burnley, or Bournemouth. I'm just naming pretty much the bottom four. Um, but again, it's important for him to be able to show he's capable to be able to be thrown into situations. And Klopp clearly, he's clearly got the backing of Jurgen Klopp. No, exactly. And it's, it's not, it's not uh, every signing you see essentially Klopp put out a video saying, trust this guy. It, like, <laughs> don't, don't jump too quickly on him. And that, that was really interesting to see. And I think obviously that's, that comes in the context that you spoke about. But yeah, um, look, it's, it's a squad game. And that's kind of, if you're, if you're Wataro Endo listening to this, which I'm sure you're not. Um, hi, Wataro. Hi, how you doing? Well played last night. Uh, <laughs> No, if, if, if you're listening to this and you hear me say it's a squad game, then you start to think, oh, okay, well, faint praise, kind of, oh, he's okay. And and look, that's not what I mean. You you, you, you need players like that in your squad and you need players who, who can who can do the business against the, 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 the kind of so-called smaller sides. Um, and yeah, if he can contribute going forward in, in those games as well as he did last night, then honestly, we'll have nothing to worry about. I thought he was great. Are you up for a bit of on-the-spot trivia? Go on. <laughs> There's a few things that you could answer this with, but I'm looking for one in particular. What links Cody Gakpo, Dominic Soboslai, Ryan Gravenberg, and Wataru Endo? Ooh, um, can we give a pause in the in in the pod while I work? <laughs> well, we we can discuss other things. We can come uh, we can come back to that. Um, well, obviously, Wataru Endo, uh, Darwin Nunez, Ryan Grabberg, we've looked at all of them. Uh, any other particular standouts for you on the night? I think perhaps uh, the young lads, uh, of course, Luke Chambers, his first start and then debuts for Callum Scanlon and James McConnell. Uh, any, anything to stand out from them, do you feel? Um, I thought Chambers had a bit of a difficult game. Not to, and that, that was no kind of slight on him. It was It was tough to come into that setup and it's from going playing left back at, at youth levels to suddenly playing a kind of hybrid left back centre back role in Europe is that that is some step up. So that no slight on him whatsoever. Um, I thought I thought out of the three, and he only got five minutes. I thought McConnell looked great. Um, I thought he looked really really tidy. He had that kind of step over and, and cross right at the end down from the left side. Um, so he impressed. Scanlon was kind of. Full of running uh, and full of energy, and you don't want to read too much into it, but maybe full of more confidence than Chambers was, or it felt like that just to watch his style of play. He had a few uh, loose passes, but having said that, he it's his burst downfield that gets us going for for the for the last goal for Salah's goal. So he kind of looked kind of full of enthusiasm. In terms of other players who impressed me on the night, I mean. It's a it's a testament to how much went on in the game that we haven't yet spoken about what a brilliant goal Jotters was. Uh, that, that is a very very valid point. <laughs> that was just astonishing, wasn't it? And and there were there were a number of good goals in the game, but and look, he did the kind of Jotter thing where he kind of comes in and out of games. But if you if you talk about that, and I'm just looking at the timer on our on our, our street on our Skype now, but. It's been 32 and a half minutes and we haven't yet spoken about Diogo Jota scoring one of the goals of the season so far. So I think honourable mention for, for, for him. 
I was very tempted. I had, the, I had the privilege of being in the post-match press conference yesterday. I was very tempted to ask about Diogo Jota, actually, because he doesn't get a lot of headlines, no. as proven by us taking off an hour to talk about <laughs> it. But um, it, it's the consistency, and you just know what he's capable of. But I, I don't even know how many of us thought he was capable of that yesterday. Picking the ball thirty up 30 yards out, dribbling past two, beating another, and then finishing it in the bottom quarter. So, so coolly with such composure and I don't want to say underrated but there is a kind of element to him where he's not he's not the flashiest individual Diogo Jota and I think that's why he maybe doesn't get talked about as much but his influence is is second to none and when I remember when it was back in 2021 where or 2020 rather and it was led to be a decision between him and Ishmael Assar. Yeah. And with all due respect to Ishmael Assar, Liverpool 100% got that choice right by yeah. Diogo Jota, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, look, we could have ended up in a situation where Ismail Assar comes in and Klopp transforms him and uh, we're talking about, oh, do you remember that Jota guy at Wolves? But I think that's unlikely. And and it's he's eerily consistent for a yeah. for, for a player who seems oddly inconsistent within games. But then you look at his record and, and it, it, it speaks for itself. And I think I've I've listened to, to people in the past and read people saying, oh, well, yeah, you know, Jota, he's never going to beat a man, but he'll, he'll, he'll stick it in at the back post. <laughs> Watch that. <Okay. laughs> <laughs> Just did three there. And so, yeah, no, he's, he, he's great. And, and it's tricky to kind of, when 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 the forward line is so well stocked with 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 great options, when when you see him kind of contribute less maybe than others in in play in in the kind of midfield area in the entering the final third, third area, it's easy to write him off and and maybe have him as a as a bench player. But he just keeps scoring, and so good luck telling him that he, he's not playing uh, on Sunday. You know. Indeed, indeed. That's uh, thankfully not my job. Um, I, I think his brace at Leeds last year did him the absolute world of good yep. as well. Yeah. Um, or you know, just in terms of because it had been over a year since he'd scored for Liverpool, and then ever since then, I've just you've just sensed a newfound confidence with Diogo Jota, which is really, really important in the long run. Um, I'll, I'll give you a bit longer on the trivia question. If anyone else is listening and think about it as well, I'll give you a hint though. It's all to do with their first Liverpool goal, if, if you can visualise their first Liverpool strikes. But uh, we'll just quickly finish on talking about Nottingham Forest. Um, and they're a bit of the draw specialists, really, Nottingham Forest this year. I think they're a lot more solid than they were at the start of last campaign. Um, it kind of went under the radar because they did have a, a lot of signings this year. Maybe not, maybe not so much as last year, the Nottingham Forest summer. But they still did sign a lot of players. Unfortunately, and it pains me to say this, I think Divock Origi is set to be injured for the weekend. I think he's set to be ruled out because Chris Wood's been up front for them as well recently. So it doesn't look like he'll get um, uh, another Liverpool farewell, if you like, sadly. But um, I think it's all well and good Liverpool producing good displays in the Europa League, which we've seen so far. And of course, there have been plenty of good displays in the Premier League, so I'm not for one second saying that there hasn't been. But they need to start producing more convincing 90-minute performances in the Premier League, don't they? Because even if you take the Everton game, for example, 
Jurgen Klopp said last night, it's not a game that will be remembered in years to come, but they got the win. Is it important Liverpool start to put more convincing displays together, or are you just concerned about the results? Um, no, I, I, I agree. I think the, the, the performance, particularly at this still relatively early stage of the season, is, is kind of crucial. And we spoke about where maybe Toulouse would be in the league. I, I think Forest will be a tougher, a tougher game than, than them. And so, obviously, that's, we'll, we'll have some better players on the pitch. But our, our league form has been pretty good in terms of, in terms of uh, results. But it's only, what, one win in the last three. And so, you'd really like them to... Maybe not have a game that's remembered for the ages, particularly not by Forest fans, but a nice, comfortable 2-0 win, more comfortable than, than the derby was, is, is, is a, I think, exactly what the doctor ordered for this team. Um, so, I don't know. I, I don't want to go too, too early on predictions or anything like that, but I think it would be a tough game. Well, there were both tough games against Forest last year, weren't they? No, exactly. Losing, losing 1-0 at the City Ground and... And winning three yeah. two when they were a team, I think. I think I'm trying to remember off the top of my head that last year when they came to Anfield, I think they only scored five away all season or something. They got two. <laughs> so it was a game of long throws, if I seem to remember. Yeah, both of Forest's um, goals came as a result of that. Nico Williams and uh, and Morgan Gibbs White um, yeah. last year oh. and. Um, certainly Gibbs White will be a threat. Nico Williams finds himself again at the centre of rotation, which is unfortunate for the lad. He's got a lot of quality, but again, you talk about consistency, maybe it just isn't there to be able to be chosen for, for Nottingham Forest. But I think we've seen interesting signs of Forest this year. We've seen them win at Chelsea, but then drop a two-goal lead at home to Luton Town last time out. So it, it's kind of difficult to, to analyse them totally without having seen every second of Nottingham Forest this season. But again, are, are we sensing a, a team that are capable, just unpredictable? Yeah, very much so, yeah. Um, you only have to look at last season to, to kind of get that. And I think they've... I was, I was thinking to myself the other day, in this kind of constant chit-chat around the Premier League, who is the least discussed team this season by, by, in social media, in the media? And I think I probably touched on Forrest. Which, if you were a Forest fan last season, especially at times, if you told if you told them that in a year's time maybe that you'll be in the Premier League, you won't be particularly concerned yet about relegation. No one's really kind of talking about them because they occupy that space in between the relegation and the and the teams who are kind of expected maybe to, to finish a bit higher up the table. You're kind of Everton's, obviously maybe not this season, but in the, the grander scale of things that you expect them to be doing better. So I think for them, no news is good news in a, in a strange kind of way. Um, they're a very, very decent, now becoming established Premier League outfit. And, and I think I've seen a lot of chat this season about how Almost every team has at least one player now with the, the kind of level that the Premier League has got to in terms of the financial spending and, and the scouting. Every team has at least one player who can really, really hurt any team in the league. And I think probably in Gibbs-White and Awanyu, they've probably got two. Um, and so absolutely no 
mugs and and we should really kind of be ready for I think a pretty tough game on the weekend. Yeah, a one year's been struggling with injury recently, so it'd be interesting to see if he's back for the weekend. Uh, Forrest, 15th in the table, nine games played, 10 goals scored, 12 goals conceded, and 10 points. Uh, so, yeah, they, and they are six points clear of Burnley already in terms of the, the final relegation place. Um, and I do think Nottingham Forest over the course of the season will have more than enough to be safe. Um, just quickly, Jamie, uh, your thoughts, team news wise? You've already alluded to. Plenty of changes going into the game. Who are you thinking in particular? Yeah, um, I think well, I, I don't want to go through the entire team, but I think it's like kind of you want it's all the time in the world. Why not? Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, so I'll go Allison. I'll go Trent. I'll go Virgil and Canate. I'll go Simicast. I think that that is probably nailed on back five. I think it's likely McAllister comes back in as the number six. I think it's certain Sobosai comes in as the number eight. I'd have a hard time telling Gravenberg that he's not playing, especially after he's taken off, what, about 70 minutes, 65 minutes or something last night. Uh, so I think I'd go those three. And then I'd go Salah, obviously. I think it's very likely he goes Diaz, given that he didn't feature last night. And then the tricky one is it could be any of Jota, Gapo, Nunez up front, but I think he will go for Nunez. So a very well, attacking team, but that is something that Liverpool very much are this year. They've played seven home games in all competitions, 21 goals. And I think that just shows the free-flowing football that we are seeing at Anfield this, or this, this season. rather um, Exciting and hopefully, as you say, the same amount of goals as the Forest game last year, but hopefully two less conceded uh, would make for a nicer, comfortable afternoon at Anfield. Uh, I've given you time, Jamie. Go on. You hopefully think that I'd forget. But, I have uh, an idea. I have an go idea. Go on. But remind me of the players involved. So the players involved, for anyone as well that wants to have a go at this trivia question, Cody Gakpo, Dominic Soboslai, Ryan Gravenberg, and Butaru Endo. So I can't remember for Gravenberg, but my guess, and it's not a great guess, is that they've all scored their first goal at the Anfield Road End. That is technically correct. <laughs> so I will give you that. You've answered the question correctly without looking at the one that I was looking for. Um, and I realise that it's a very tenuous one because if we believe in assists, it's not a technical assist. But the stat I was looking for that they'd all been assisted by Trent Alexander-Arnold, ah. who we're only just mentioning after about 40-odd minutes. So, <laughs> But no, it, again, I think that just shows you what you expect from Trent Alexander-Arnold. Had a very good game, got an assist, and uh, gets uh, pretty much the last mention, of the, <laughs> last mention of the podcast before throwing in that, uh, again, Salah did score yesterday. So, But that we're just used to that these days. Um, so thank you very much, Jamie. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Cheers. And uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, the next episode of the Reds Unrestricted podcast will be out after the Nottingham Forest game, uh, either on Sunday or early Monday. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, I've been Chris Coughlin. Jamie Barton's been with me as well. Thanks for listening. and Enjoy the rest of your day.